Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Chapter number four, Second Kings, chapter number four, and uh, we can begin there with verse one, and we'll read down through verse seven, and then we'll go to the book of Psalms, the seventy-eighth Psalm. It's good to see Rustin with us in the house of the Lord. I'm so glad that he chose to come down and be in church with us. He wanted to come down and enjoy this anointed service, get revived and restored and renewed. God's teaching people patience through this pandemic, isn't he? Even, even this great couple, praise God. It's an unfortunate situation, but I'm thankful that uh, for this couple, praise God. Second Kings chapter number four and verse one. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondsmen. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaiden hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors. Even empty vessels borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door unto unto thee and up, are upon thee and upon thy sons and shall pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. It came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. One more passage of Scripture. 78th Psalm. And... Uh, for the sake of time, I will not read many verses here, but suffice it to say that this is about the children of Israel in the wilderness, and this is who this is written about. So understand that when we start here with verse 40. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. 
and limited. That's what I want you to pay attention to. And limited the Holy One of Israel. And I simply want to use a, a subject here this morning that uh, it's not fancy, but nevertheless I feel on my heart. Don't limit God. Don't limit God. I don't want to be accused of that. don't want to be guilty of that. I don't want to allow that to ever happen in my life, that I would limit the Lord. I want Him to move to the full potential that He desires. I want Him to work and fulfill every promise that He has in store for me. I want to see Him. Come on, does anybody agree with me here today? Does anybody feel that way? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Let's lift up our hands unto the Lord and let's pray for His mighty anointing in this place. I pray, God, that you would help us. I pray your hand to be upon us. I pray, God, your direction to be here. Pray, God, that you would bless, anoint in the remainder of this service. We thank you, God, for your goodness and mercy. I pray, God, that you would have your way. Let there be liberty in this house. In Jesus' name, could you clap your hands in praise to the Lord? <clears throat> praise God. Thank you so much for standing, and you may be seated. This story is one of the most powerful illustrations in the entirety of Scripture of God's provision. And I'm always amazed when I read stories like this because sometimes we develop an opinion about what the story means or everything that it illustrates and everything that is trying to be communicated there in the Scripture. And so after we've read a text a few times, sometimes we're dismissive of it and we think, well, I, I know everything there is to know about that particular event or story or verses or passage of Scripture. And we feel that we've got the whole of what God is trying to say through it. And uh, I think in doing so, we cheat ourselves many times. Because we can get back and read something again. That's why we ought to read the Bible through, uh, maybe on an annual basis or however that you have a reading program. And stay with it because you, you can read certain passages of Scripture and say, well, I've read this story before, but it's amazing how it will speak to you. And the depths and maybe some facet or angle that you didn't see before will leap out at you. And in this particular text, there are several things that are seen in the Scripture that cannot be seen if you only have a superficial point of view and a superficial perspective of the Scripture. But there's some spiritual import that can be derived from this if you'll look and dig just a little bit deeper. First of all, right there in verse 1, there's an interesting fact that is giving, given in this scripture. It says that while this woman may seem to just be a random widow in Israel, that in fact is not true, but she was a wife of one of the sons of the prophets, the scripture says. And uh, as I've studied this, there's some theologians that have even suggested that this was the widow of Obadiah. 
that cannot be proven beyond any shadow of doubt, but let's suppose that, that maybe there's some, some kernel of truth in that, and I s- just begin to look at the life of Obadiah. Of course, we know that there is a book in the Bible, one of the minor prophets, that is called the book of Obadiah. He is a descendant of Issachar, and he was uh, in a very conflicting situation during his time of ministry, was during the rule of King Ahab, who was a very wicked king. But it just so happened that he was appointed a royal chamberlain in the king's courts, in Ahab's very palace. He was appointed to this position. Can you imagine endeavoring to live for God under those circumstances? Can you imagine being in the palace of such a wicked king who had a wife like Jezebel who wanted to put to death any worshipers of Jehovah and preferred that everybody worship Baal? And we'll find that even later in Obadiah's life, he was responsible for hiding uh, some of the sons of the prophets, some of these prophets of God. He was able to hide them from sure death that Jezebel had decreed upon them. He placed them in a specific place so that they could be safe from her. And his name simply means a servant and a worshiper. I think those are two pretty good traits to have. A servant and a worshiper. Isn't that awesome? And... It is said of him that he was one that feared the Lord greatly. So you say, why why does that matter? If it was, in fact, Obadiah that was this widow's husband and he had passed away, uh, then this gives a little bit more meaning to the story. Here was a man that had dedicated his life under very stressful circumstances to living for God standing for righteousness, even in the king's palace, doing what was right, fearing the Lord and serving the Lord, a man that was a worshiper of God. And the Bible tells us in this story that when his family found themselves in a precarious situation, that the Lord, by a miracle no less, provided for them. Now, that ought to bring comfort to somebody in this room to know that when you dedicate your life to God, when you do your part in serving the Lord and living for the Lord, giving yourself to the work of God, that it's not in vain, that it not only affects you and helps you and blesses you, but it extends, in this case, even to the next generation, to his two sons, uh, the Lord provided for his widowed wife and also provided for his two sons and really provided for the entire community through the sale of this oil. I'm telling you, the legacy of a person that lives for God and serves the Lord is a wonderful thing. If for no other reason, I want you to be encouraged is to know that if I serve God and live for God and do what is right and stand for what is right, God is going to honor me and God's not going to forgive it. Forget it. Even after I'm gone, even after I've passed away, the mercy and the goodness of the Lord is going to be extended to the next generation. Oh, I think we've got to give some praise to the Lord for that. 
The Bible says that this widow came to where the prophet was, and she cried unto Elisha. So you can sense the, the desperation. You can almost feel the emotion in this text. These words are, are charged with emotion. And then Elisha, hearing the cry and the desperation of this woman and her need being presented, she explained to him what the conditions were that there's a lot of debt that's been left and I'm not able to pay it. And the creditors are coming, knocking at the door daily. And the threat is, is that they're going to take my sons to be bondsmen if I don't pay it by a certain date. And he says, what shall I do for thee? And then on the heels of that, I want you to notice, he says, tell me, what hast thou in the house? Now the prophet is, is making it very clear from the outset that her miracle was going to require her participation. Her receiving what she needed from the Lord was going to require something at her hands. Can I tell you that often when you read in the Word of the Lord about great and mighty miracles happening, sometimes we think they're entirely autonomous and, and God is working all by Himself. And He could do that. But more likely... As you read and see the examples of the Word of God, God uses you and I to be a part of the process as participants in the miracle. The miracle often comes by the work of our hands and our efforts being employed. Amen. I know that God can do it, but He wants us to be an active participant in the process and what He is doing in our lives. So don't sit back and pray for a job and and never go out and apply for one anywhere. So well, God, if he wants to give it to me, they'll knock down my doors. Well, that's not how it works. Don't, don't ask for money and not be willing to work. You know, we get that on occasion. Uh, people come by and knock on, you know, for years I didn't have a, a peephole out the door there. And uh, so I never knew when I opened the door what was going to be standing on the other side of it. And uh, sometimes, because it's a push-button lock, and uh, probably need to invest in some little stronger locks where that's concerned. But anyway, because it's a push-button lock, sometimes inadvertently somebody comes in, they can leave it unlocked. And I have had a few people just step on in, you know, thinking that, I guess, was the main entrance. And uh, come on in and, and uh, make themselves at home. I didn't offer them coffee or anything. In most cases, when they came in, they were surprised because it scared and frightened me, and I don't know, I guess uh, my default position when I'm frightened like that is, is, is pretty shocking to them because their eyes get real big. You know, I can just tell you how they respond. I don't know exactly, can't remember exactly what I did, but I can tell you what they did in response to it. And... Uh, in fact, they usually look for that door to get back out of it. And so anyway, people come by and I'll say, you know, you know, at first, you know, at, at first I was willing to give, you know, just some, some money. And then, and then I got to thinking, you know what, they're telling everybody up and down the street that we're giving money away. And so they'd be more. 
and, and I'm for doing our part and doing whatever we can. But you know what? I've got to be a good steward over uh, this church and the finances of this church. So I got to thinking about that. I thought, you know what? We've got some things around here that need to be done. Maybe they'd be willing to pull some weeds. Just maybe they'd be willing to, you know, I don't trust them to do much painting or something of that nature, but maybe they would be willing to, you know, uh, straighten up some things around here and help us out in some areas. And you know, it's surprising to me how busy folks can get all of a sudden. You know, they was trying to get from here to Little Rock or from here to Houston. And, uh, you know, they say, well, if you're, I said, well, I, I'll tell you what, I, I'll be willing to pay you if you pull some weeds out of the flower beds or if you'll go out here and do uh, some pickup for me. And, and uh, yeah, but you know, right now, I don't have time. I've got something really pressing. I need to be in Little Rock. I said, well, have fun. You're, going to have a, you're not going to get there too soon on that bicycle, but you go ahead and try. So anyway, people are not nearly as willing to work and put the effort in. Don't, don't pray for a raise and continue to be an average employee. Boy, I've already started preaching, haven't I? Don't pray for, for friends and continue to be unfriendly. Don't, don't pray for a better marriage and not be willing to change your attitude. You know, it, it takes two to make a, a good marriage. I'm helping you all out here. So we got this understanding that there's some things that I have to adapt. There's some things that I have to do. I have to be a participant in the process. Yes, God will give us a miracle. God is a miracle working God. But he requires some things of me. If you don't believe that, look at Acts chapter 12. We find Simon Peter in the prison. And the Bible says that while he was in the prison, there was a prayer meeting that was going on at Mary's house. And as they were praying, the Lord dispatched angels down into the prison where Simon Peter was. He was shackled between some guards and the angel of the Lord came and shook him awake. He was asleep. You talk about having peace in a terrible situation. This man just had the confidence that God is going to take care of me. I'm going to tell you, when you're doing the work of God, living for God and serving God like you're supposed to, you don't have to get all shook up when the world is. Amen. You don't have to live with the same mindset that the world does. You can know that God is going to take care of you. And notice what the angel said to him. It said, gird thyself, bind up thy sandals, cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. In other words, I come to deliver you out of this prison, but I'm not going to put your shoes on for you. I'm not going to get you dressed. Those are things you're going to have to do. And matter of fact, you're going to have to get up from where you are, and you're going to have to follow me. I'm going to lead the way, but you're going to have to follow me. Come on, you've got to be sensitive enough, even when it goes against logic, even when it goes against your better judgment. In faith, I'm going to follow. In faith, I'm going to be obedient. In faith, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. 
and he stands up and he begins to follow that angel and as he does the first ward of the prison doors open and they come to the second ward and that door opens and as they walk out of the prison house they walk until they get to the gate of the city and the Bible says then when he came to that place uh, he came to himself and realized hey I'm not dreaming this is a real miracle that is taking place and when he realized what was going on the Bible says that the angel disappeared in other words I've done all I'm going to do for you you can do the rest you can find Mary's house you can find your way out from here I'm going to do what you can't do but I'm going to let you do what you can do I'm going to tell you, there's no circumstance too bad that you can't pray about it and release faith. There's no situation that is too grievous that you can't lift up your hands and worship God and believe God and give thanks to God and give praise to the Lord. I wonder if somebody would do that right now. It doesn't matter what you may be facing, what you may be going through. Somebody needs to make up your mind right here in the situation. I'm going to praise the Lord. Come on, let's give him a hand clap of prayer. So God does what you can't do yourself. The prophet said, what hast thou in the house? You see, we focus so much on what we don't have that we overlook the thing that he has given us. Amen. Somebody said, well, I don't have anything. Well, the Bible says that within all of us, he's deposited a measure of faith. And it's up to us to use that measure of faith and exercise and put that and employ that into what he wants to do in our lives. And we can sit around and focus on what we don't have and how bad the situation is. And the situation will never improve with that kind of mindset. With that kind of attitude, things will never get better. But the prophet wanted her to focus on what she did have in the house, what she had left in the house, because that's where the miracle starts. It always starts with what you have left. Amen. Somebody said, well, I just, I just have a little bit of strength. Well, give that to God. I, I just am holding on with a little faith. Well, give that to God. I just have a little bit to offer. Give that to God. Somebody said, well, I, I've wasted so many years and I don't have much left. Well, give what you have left to God. That's all that he's asking for. That's where the miracle starts. David didn't have any military experience. He wasn't trained. He didn't have any physical advantages. He didn't have a sword. He didn't even have his own armor. But he did have a sling and a stone. And God used what he had to give him a great miracle that we're still preaching about 4,000 years later. Yeah, Samson was outnumbered, but he looked on the ground and he saw the jawbone of a donkey and he picked it up and he slew a thousand Philistines and let their bodies left in heap. Use what you've got. Shamgar, he didn't have a weapon. He didn't have a sword or a spear, but he had an ox goat. And he said, I'm going to use what I have and God is going to give me victory over my enemy. Moses, he didn't have a lot of implements, but he had a rod in his hand.
Amen. And God said, if you'll lift that up, I'll part the Red Sea. If you'll throw that down, I'll turn it into a snake. And if you'll pick it back up again, I'll turn it back into a rock. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to tell somebody in this place, use what you got. Come on, don't talk to me about what you don't have. Use what you got and God can multiply. God can give you the things that you've been desiring. But he's waiting on some of you to give what you got, to employ what you've got, to invest what you have. That little lady in Mark chapter 14, she didn't have a very good reputation according to what the scripture says. But she took that bottle of ointment, spikenard, very precious, the alabaster box, and she break it, and she anointed Jesus with it. And the scripture says that when Jesus responded, he said she had done what she could. Amen. That's the problem. We expect God to do what we can do. We expect God to move in areas that he wants us to be a participant in. Amen. You have to come with a mindset. Oh, that if I can, I will. If I can, I will. I'm not going to excuse myself. I'm not going to talk about all the things that I wish I had and I wish that I, I possessed and all the things that it, life would be a whole lot better if I had thus. And so use what you've got. And let God bless it. And let God multiply it. And let God work with it. God was going to multiply this little bit of oil. But she had to be willing to pour it out. I'm going to tell you, God can use your little bit of worship. But you've got to be willing to pour it out. God can use your little bit of faith. But you've got to be willing to release it. God can use your little bit of desire. But you've got to be willing to express it. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 2 about those men, those four men that dropped the man through the roof. They didn't drop him through the roof. They let him down through the roof. That didn't sound very good, did it? I said, yeah, he was paraplegic when we started, but he's got brain damage now. Let him down through the roof. Sounds better, doesn't it? When they let him down. You know, they did have to let go at some point. I was just thought I was just messing up, but I'm I'm really making a point here. At some point, when they let this man down, whatever they was letting him down by, they had to let go of it and say, "It's out of our control now. We've done all we can do." And note, the very best that they could do for him was to let him down. And I'm going to tell you the very best that this world can offer and the very best that men can offer and the very best that humanity can do is to let you down. Amen. But Jesus, he was waiting all the while. I'm waiting to lift this man up and heal him and strengthen him. What the world let down, I'm willing to lift up. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus saw their faith. Did you know faith can be seen? Did you know faith? And I want to ask you, if you believe that, I want to ask you a real question this morning, a soul-searching question. Can your faith be seen? Do you display faith when you come to the house of God? Matter of fact, do you display faith on your job? Do you display faith in your daily walk? Well, why is it getting so quiet in here? 
Amen. Faith not, is not something that's just displayed up here at this altar at the conclusion of this service. But faith is something that we live out. And it's something that should be observable. It's something that should be seen. People ought to be able to look. That, that's a person of faith. They live their life by faith. That's a person that believes God. By the way they conduct themselves and the attitude that they have. I could tell that that's a person that loves God and that believes God's word. And that is endeavoring to be obedient to God's word. He saw their faith. Now we know how the story ends and uh, how exciting it is. All the vessels that were brought into the house were filled. And when the very last vessel was topped off, and she looked and said, bring me another vessel. And the son said to her in reply, there's not a vessel more. The Bible says, and the oil stayed or it stopped. And some of you thought that that was what I was going to preach about in the entirety of don't limit God. Bring more vessels. Bring more in. And I suppose that we could spend a lot of time preaching about that because that represents the vision that this lady had or this, these two sons had. And that's a very powerful point. But I want you to realize that God wasn't limited this story proves it. God was not limited by the circumstances. Death of a husband didn't limit him. The dire need and the astronomical situation and, and, and how big it seemed to these that were involved, it didn't limit him. Outside forces didn't limit him. But if you look deep into this story, you can identify some areas where God could have been. Thankfully, in this case, he wasn't, but he could have been limited. First of all, pride could have been a limiting factor in this story. And you say, well, how, how, how could a person that is so down, as we like to say, and luck's not a good word, but this is an expression that is used, a person that is so down on their luck, how could they possibly have any pride left? I'm going to tell you, it's surprising to me people that are down, how much one thing that is the last to go usually is human pride. That's right. You know, whether it be the person that gets a brand new automobile and they park it right up at the front door of the church where everybody can see it as they come in, or it's the person that drives a jalopy that is held together with bailing wire and parks theirs on the furthest corner of the parking lot. The pride's still the same. Pride is something that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you possess or what you don't possess. You could still have pride in your heart. And this miracle required that they swallow their pride and go out and ask for some vessels. She sent her sons out of the streets and said, go borrow from the neighbors. Just like the man of God said, I want you to go borrow from the neighbors. And I want you to get a lot of them. And I want you to go knock on every door. And I want you to bring some vessels back into this house. Now, can you imagine? These gentlemen have already been abased in many ways, economically and otherwise. They have been in a position that is very precarious and they 
they understand that their situation, their their need is 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 caused them to maybe maybe these were men that were used to having their needs, basic basic needs and monetary needs met, and all of a sudden they find their themselves in a place where they feel like almost beggars going and asking for vessels. And matter of fact, it would seem like a bizarre question to ask somebody when they know what your situation is. Well, I mean, I understand you wanting a vessel with something in it, but you're telling me you want an empty vessel? I could understand if you told me you want a, you want a vessel with some food in it or you want a vessel with, with some substance in it, but you're telling me you want an empty vessel. I'm telling you that's what I want. I want an empty vessel. I want, I want you to give me, I, I want you to give me all the empty containers that you have in your house. They had to overcome fear of rejection. They had to overcome and swallow their pride. I'm going to tell you, that is where a miracle begins with you and I. When we get to the place that we don't care what the person standing down the pew thinks. We're not concerned about what anybody says or does. We're not concerned so much about about what their opinions are of us. When you get desperate enough, you're willing to do whatever you have to do. Come on, can I just be be straightforward and tell you that the reason why some of us hadn't got a prayer through and the reason why some of us hadn't got a miracle is because we're worried about what somebody might say and what somebody might think. And if you would lose that inhibition and if you would make up your mind that I couldn't care less, if I got a miracle, it wouldn't matter what they thought five minutes ago. If I received a breakthrough, it wouldn't matter what that person said about about me. It wouldn't matter, amen, if they thought I was crazy if I got through to the Lord. Oh, somebody clap their hands and let's give him some praise. I'll give you a little personal illustration of this swallowing your pride business. You know, it comes in all ages. You know, you don't grow out of pride. And even the youngest child as a measure of it. It's amazing. I remember when I was just a boy, young boy, the first time that my father uh, took us that I can remember to Roaring River State Park and it's just outside of Cassville, Missouri and um, to fish for trout. We'd heard about it. We drove the many miles over there and uh, so anyway, when we got there, got everything rigged up. Trout are very persnickety. You can't fish for trout like you can catfish. You you can't fish for trout like you can largemouth bass. Uh, even so persnickety that they can see in the water. The water's very clear, it's spring fed. They can see if you've got a line that is a certain amount a test line above what they recommend, they can see it in the water. And so you have to fish with a very low test line. What that is is the poundage that is recommended. So you, you're catching fish that oftentimes are bigger than what actually you have the test line for. And so, because you don't want the fish to be able to see it. They're very, they're very peculiar and uh, so 
uh, we went out there. I think we maybe had six-pound test line. They recommended two. And you couldn't use live bait. You couldn't use any bait that was scented. And they could pick up, you had to use soft plastic type baits and so on. And uh, they could pick it up and spit it out. And if you didn't set the hook while they had it in their mouth, you wasn't going to catch it. So you had to be very sensitive. And, uh, you know, like any six, seven-year-old, I knew everything. And so we came out from buying our license. My dad had been talking to some gentlemen about how to catch these rainbow trout. And he told me, as we was walking down towards the stream, he said, if you want me to, I can show you how to do this. And uh, maybe he'd had some experience with it before. And I said, no, I got it. I can do this. So I went down there, and I threw in. And I can't tell you how many times I would see that fish come up, look at my bait, and swim as hard as he can the other way. Or pick it up in his mouth and spit it right back out before I could jerk and set the hook. And so my dad said, you know, have it your way. And he went over to my cousin, who was about the same age, I think just a couple years maybe older than I, and he said, Travis, would you like me to help you uh, learn how to catch these? He said, I'd be honored, Uncle Ed, for you to help me learn how to catch these fish. And you know, I mean, it wasn't a matter of minutes, and he was pulling them in. They was splash. He was right across the stream from me, you know. And he was pulling them in. They was splashing. He was having they was laughing and giggling, and I was looking over there, seething. And I mean, the more of them he caught, you know, kids keep score. And every one of them I was watching, he was putting them on the stringer. He got to where he's a smart aleck, turning them loose, turning them back. Fine, I couldn't handle it anymore. I crossed the bridge and came back over. I said, Daddy, would you show me how to catch these fish? You know, it's a lot the same with you and I. We have to swallow our pride and say, God, I don't have this like I thought I had this. I can't do this like I thought I could. Daddy, I need you to help me. I need you to show me. I, I need you to direct me. Come on. Is anybody able to come like a little child and say, teach me? I want to learn from you. Lord, show me. I want you to reveal it to me. You got to be willing to swallow your pride to get a miracle. Second of all, selfishness could have played into this. He could have calculated before they ever left the house and said, you know what? I know she said to go borrow not a few. I know, I heard what the prophet said. He said, go out there and get as many as you got. But you know, that's going to be a lot of work. And that's going to be a lot of asking. And that's going to be a lot of people that we're going to knock on their door and possible rejection. I've got it calculated and figured out that this, if we got X amount, that would be enough for us to survive. That would be enough for us to get by and get through this season and pay this debt off. 
But you know what the prophet said at the end. He said, when you sell this, it's not just about you paying it off. Notice he used the word live. He said, I'm going to give you enough to live on after it's all. After you retire the debt, I'm going to give you something to live on until you get through this season. I'm not just getting you over the hump, so to speak. You're not just going to survive and, and turn the creditor away. Uh, but I'm going to give you something that will help you to be able to make it on and have a blessed and joyful life in the future. How many times do we only think within the perimeters of ourselves and that's all that we desire and if we could just get enough for us. But notice when, when this story concludes that they were able to sell it and it was a blessing to the rest of the community and they were able to live and they were able to be an active member of the community and do what they needed to be a blessing to the community. I'm just preaching to somebody. When you get beyond just thinking about what I got to and what I need God can give you a miracle that is running over oh come on now let me preach to you when you give and you only give you gotta you, you know there's some people they calculate it all it's hard for me to stay on this platform you, you know you, you get it all calculated right down to where you know I, I got I'm on and I don't fault anybody if this way you want to do it just so you do it but uh, you know what? I've never been the type that has said, you know what? On my tithe, I, I got it down to $3.19 that I owe. Why not round up to 20 be a lot easier. Well, I'm getting a little bit of amens and some grunts and some nods and I'm not saying that the, that that you're that you're sinning when you don't, I'm not saying, but I'm going to tell you, when we don't give begrudgingly, when we give and say, God, this is this is something that I know I could not give you. I, I put you to the test so many times. I know that you will bless me. I know that you'll get back to me shaken down, pressed together, and running over. You're going to get back unto us. I want to preach to somebody, let's don't be selfish. Let's be channels that God can use not only to bless us but to bless somebody else and those that are around us. Come on, if you believe it, give him some praise and give him some worship. Then I noticed they, they could have limited him if they would have brought vessels that were not empty because that was part of the requirement. Bring Empty vessels into the house. So much of the time, I'm going to tell you, the oil only flowed into empty vessels. We so much of the time want God to pour on top of all of the things that we're unwilling to empty ourselves out of. When I think about that, that lady in Scripture at the well of Samaria that came to the Lord, and she thought, that she had him fooled. And they got talking about the living water. And she said, well, give me to drink of that water. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't give you. You said that this would fill me up. I'd never thirst again. Yes. Give me that water. He said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, just a minute. He said, this water only flows into empty vessels. you got to go back and take care of some things. 
Go call thy husband. And you know the story. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say don't expect God to bless on top of things that you're unwilling to empty yourself out of. God can't pour his blessings out on top of bitterness. God cannot pour his blessings out on top of unforgiving spirit. God cannot pour his blessings out on top of envy or strife. God cannot. He's not going to pour his blessings out upon top of sin. He's not going to ignore carnality in a person's life. But when we pour that out at an altar and say, God, I repent of it. God, I want you to take this bitterness out of it. I want you to heal this unforgiving spirit. I want to be willing to forgive and let go and release that when you let it go you'll be amazed at how much he'll pour back into you the blessings of God that have come amen when we empty ourselves out we got to be willing to be emptied out before the Lord that's that's why you know it's not a it's not a difficult thing to receive the Holy Ghost matter of fact it's a promise I don't believe you got to go down here for six months. Some have done that, but they didn't have to and struggle for six months. And, and everybody uh, in the whole church uh, lay hands on you. And, you know, that's going to be hard to do in the next couple of weeks. And everybody jostling you around and, and uh, saying, hang on, let go, and all of that kind of stuff. And finally you break through. They didn't have to be that way, my friend. When you empty yourself out, nobody has to lay their hand on your head. But out of the faith of your heart, you repented of your sins. That's the only prerequisite that there is. got to promise when you empty yourself out that you're going to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Your cup's going to run over. When you empty yourself out and repent of your sin, God will give you this promise of the Holy Ghost. Come on, if you believe it, why don't you clap your hands to him and give him praise right now. Come on, I believe if some of us would get some filth and things that we've picked up along the way, things that we've allowed in our lives that don't belong there, things that we've accumulated that, that is weighting us down and hindering our walk with God, if we let it go and get rid of it and empty ourselves out of it, I believe the blessings of God will begin because they all flows into empty vessels. When I've got capacity, if my life's so full, full of carnality, there's no room for God in it. If I'm so preoccupied with the things of the world, there's no room for God in it. If I'm so caught up with the things of this life, there's no room for God in it. But when I empty myself out, I become receptacle. When I repent, I become a receptacle of God's goodness and promises in my life. Why don't you stand with me right now? Musicians, please come. We limit God so often. Notice the instruction. He said, now when you get all the vessels in the house, shut the door. you got to shut some things out in order for there to be the flowing of anointing and oil. I'm going to tell you, when we leave ourselves open to the spirits of doubt and reason and fear, 
We need to learn how to shut the door to all of that. Particularly in this hour that we're living in because there's a lot of talking heads and there's a lot of opinions and none of them are nobody. One thing that's come out of this is nobody really knows what they're talking about. I said there's one thing that has certainly come out of this. Nobody can factually say that they know what they're talking about. Because nobody's been this way before. But one thing I do know is I know the God that's in control of it all. I know the God that you can put your trust in. You you can listen to Dr. Sigma Fruit if you want to. But I'm going to look into the Word of God. And I'm going to obey the Word of the Lord. And I'm going to keep having my faith most of all in the things of God. I'm not saying disregard uh, things of this life and, 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 be, and be crazy and foolish. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is let's don't let anything trump the Word of God. Let's don't let anything crowd out the Word of God. Let's don't let anything take the place. Shut it out and say, God, I believe that you're able to give me a miracle. That's a challenge for some people. But I've, I've looked in the word of the Lord. Miracle after miracle, the Lord said, I, I, want, I want you to dismiss that. I want you to let that go. And I want you to shut the door to that. Just the next passage of Scripture tells the story of the Shudamite woman whose son fell unexpectedly dead, perhaps by a heat stroke. She brought him, placed him in the room, where it all started, the room that she had provided for the prophet. And the prophet came in there, and the Bible said he shut the door behind him. And a miracle transpired. That boy was resurrected. The Passover, he said, I want you to go in the house, and I want you to shut the door. Until I tell you, until morning comes, I want you to shut the door. And the death angel that passes by is going to pass over you if you've got the blood applied. The instance with Jairus' daughter, when Jesus showed up the house, the house was full of unbelief. The house was full of those that were basically mocking with their fake tears any hope of anything changing. And the Lord said, I dismiss you all. And he just, and a few of his disciples came into there. And I just imagine he, he shut the door and said, hey, let all of them that are laughing and mocking and saying there's no hope, shut them out. I'm going to tell you, the people that try to tell you that the days of revival are over, shut those voices out. Those that try to tell you that God can't give you a miracle, shut those voices out. Those that try to tell you that there's no hope for your life, no hope for your marriage, no hope for your family, that, that the situation is too far gone, shut those voices out. Hey, they, they may say this is a dead situation. It can never change. But I'm going to tell you, you need to shut the door to those voices because once you get Jesus into this situation, you shut everything else out. A miracle can happen. We have to be willing to do that. You know, some people can't understand why I just keep on making this vicious cycle and circle and I never seem to be able to get over certain things in my life. Well, examine who you're running with, what voices you're allowing to speak to you into your life, who you're fellowshipping with. No wonder you're having a hard time overcoming a bad attitude. 
No wonder you're having a hard time forgiving. No wonder you're having a hard time laying down that addiction. No wonder you're having a hard time overcoming that issue and problem in your life if you continue to run with those folks. As hard as it is, you've got to close that door. And sometimes it's people that you've been very close to. I remember a particular point in my life, and I'm not saying that every door means absolutely no contact whatsoever. What I am saying is you shut a door spiritually that this person no longer has influence in my life anymore. There's a time in my life I had to do that with people that I loved and people that I trusted and people that, that had, uh, I'd really looked up to and I just had to make up my mind. This is not what they taught me in the beginning. This is They're not going the same direction that, that they taught me to go in the first place. And you have to reach over and say, you know, I love you, but I'm shutting the door to that because I want to go on and I want to be all that God desires for me to be. This morning about and this, this is a very peculiar thing but about restaurants in certain big cities across the world and one of them matter of fact is in Dallas and this particular restaurant originally it started the idea started with a couple of blind men that uh, were chefs and they wanted because they, they felt them being blind, they could experience through their other senses being more sensitive. They could experience food at a different level than folks that were experiencing it uh, as we customarily do. And so they bring people into the restaurant, and as bizarre as it may sound, some of the dining areas are set up in pitch black darkness. You come in, you order your food in a, a dimly lighted room, then you go in, and they, they begin to instruct you on how to eat and where to find your silverware. And, uh, I guess the potatoes at 6 o'clock and the meats at 12 o'clock. And, and, and you just kind of feel your way through it. But those that have tried this, as bizarre as it is, they tell that, that suddenly other senses become more aware. Their sense of smell. They walk into a place they can't see anything, so they, they start smelling the food. And they can't. They can't uh, see anything, so when they finally taste the food, it, they savor it a whole lot more because they're not distracted by anything else. Ah, that sounds awful funny to me or weird to me, but I'm going to tell you in a, in a spiritual sense, we have to shut some other things off in order to become sensitive to God and open to God. And when you shut those things down, you become ultra sensitive and suddenly something is aroused in your heart that you have a hunger for God that wasn't there before. When you suddenly cut those things out of your life, you suddenly realize there were some places that God, amen, was being crowded out and God was being competed with. But suddenly I realize that now I'm, in, I, I'm experiencing Him in the fullness and the completeness that He has positioned me to and bless me to be able to experience Him in. I wonder if there's somebody who wants to come to this altar here this morning and say, God, I want you to pour out of your Spirit into my vessel and I want to empty it out so that you can pour out your blessings and your goodness and your mercy to me. 
If you're willing, I want you to come. I want you to come. And I know that a lot of times uh, we think, well, I, I, I've, I've got the Holy Ghost. I, I, I'm an experienced saint of God. I've been around the church for years. But I, I just want to compel you to come to this altar. I want to compel you to come down here and say, God, if there's any clutter, if there's any area of my life that I need to, to, to get rid of some things and I need to, I, I need to, get cleaned up in some areas. I need you to wash and I need you to cleanse me in some areas. I want to be willing to do so because I want, Lord, for your oil to flow into my life. I want you, God, to work in my behalf. Come on, let's look to the Lord right now. Let's cry out to Him right now. Let's seek after Him right now. I love you, Jesus. I give praise to you, God. Come on, let's seek the Lord.